Hello and welcome to Spoil Your Rain. This is episode 24, and I'm joined by... Uh, Jack Kerwin. All right, yeah. so this episode was going to recap some recent political events, uh, the most recent budget, uh, the possibility of a new general election, um, some Brexit issues. So let's start with the budget. It came out a week ago. Yeah, pretty much. And the results are... It's not nah. unpopular. Yeah. That's the nicest thing to be said about it. I mean, it, 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 the way it's phrased in the media is that this is a budget that has something for everyone, but it, it's like a Halloween budget. No one's getting the full-size Snickers. Yeah. You know, everyone's getting the, the out of the bag. Um, I mean, they didn't up taxes on alcohol or diesel, which are always the two big talking points. Um, most budgets, tobacco went up. Uh, welfare payments went up a little bit, but, but they staggered the payments until March. Yeah, so you know that's that's that has everyone sort of resounding. Well, five euro, I guess, is nice, but, but in five months. Yeah, in five months, I mean, five euro gets you a pack of chicken. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Um, and it, I, there wasn't really anything else in there. There was some odd uh, stuff in there of the the emergency fund. Yeah, that's that's like a Brexit sort of rainy day fund which is yes. actually a good idea I mean, yeah, it's it not a bad thing that's a good thing that they did that it's just not easy to sell to the populace as yeah. a popular thing big biggest thing missing from the budget was infrastructure yeah. and obviously all the government spokesmen and the Fianna Fáil spokesmen who help support this thing have all said yes there is infrastructure and what they are calling infrastructure is year on year capital spending that has to happen because yeah. the population has gone up we have to build more schools we've got to fix hospitals yada 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 infrastructure in the way that we're talking about is new buildings that we need big transport projects that need to get done things to remove you know big traffic well, black spots in the country such as in cork and in other cities well what this reminds me of is that we're looking at uh do you remember in the 90s when they weren't spending on schools? And then by the mid-90s, so many schools were a complete wreck that they, they had to spend a ludicrous amount of money. Yeah. I mean, I think anyone who grew up in Ireland during the 90s probably spent a good year at least for their childhood in a prefab. Yeah, prefabs, yeah. And the problem is after, what, about eight years where there's been really no infrastructure investments in Garda stations, hospitals, schools, yeah, any number, except, weirdly, the social welfare offices. Yeah, they've all gotten redone. Um, the problem is, is that you wait that long, a lot of these projects are going to become serious issues in, I'd say, two to three years. Yeah, but also the longer you wait, the more expensive it is. Yes, of course. I mean, it's, it's, it's not, this isn't complicated. Um, and also, the last few budgets last six budgets before this one and last year's one were all regressive. So they all ripped money out of the economy. And obviously this budget is in theory or technically it's a stimulus budget in that it's adding new spending to the economy, right? And it's adding spending in areas where there are year on year increases due to population changes and things like that. And there are some goodies like we just talked about, but the big missing part is long-term planning and infrastructure, which is yet again the thing that we do the worst in this country. But we do actually have to spend some money and we have a rare, unique opportunity to borrow some money at very low, if not minus interest rates. And minus interest rate means actually that the market is paying you to hold their money. So that's a win-win. Um, and we could change a lot of our 
debt to GDP ratio. We can go into all of that. I'm not going to because it's really complicated and also because our GDP is actually inflated. It's not the best measure of the economy, but it is utilized by the people who lend us money. Hmm. So just to make it simple, we can borrow money very cheaply and then spend it on infrastructure. And that is actually allowed by EU rules. Well, what we I used to have things called capital budgets, but they all got eliminated. Well, what I find interesting about this is, uh, I mean, when the recession first happened, yourself, myself would have been talking, well, now is the time to start looking at massive infrastructure projects. Yeah, because um, we're Keynesians. And now, eight years on, and a lot of people were very much in favor of we should be building stuff. Because this it's is cheap. time to build stuff. Yeah, it's cheap. And it hires people and yeah, so on. Yeah, but it's also, it's cheaper to build but, during a recession. Uh, and also, not an austerity measure. Yeah. But what I find funny now is I don't know if you've noticed this in a lot of the media. A lot of people are reporting things like it's terrible that they should be thinking about borrowing. They shouldn't be borrowing and like looking at doing these big projects because it will I, – I don't know what the real logic is because everyone's been clamoring to reduce austerity. And now that we're at a point where we kind of can reduce yeah. austerity, everyone is focused a bit too much, I think – on their pocketbook. Again, it's because people make people make two assumptions that are not true. One is they think that government spending is like household spending, which is this mm-hmm. really dumb argument that, you know, I balance my checkbook every year, therefore the government should balance theirs. Guess what? 55% of Irish households are in massive debt, personal <laughs> debt. So they're not balancing the credit card. So the idea that we should do what they do is actually a bad one. And the other thing is a government doesn't work like that. Well, the government doesn't know how much revenue it's actually going to get in. Because it's reliant on receipts and different things happening outside of their control. But the other thing is they're mixing up the deficit, which is the structural difference between spending and income that comes in per year, and the debt, Hmm. which is the amount of overall debt that we have to roll over year on year. So every year, for the last couple of years, we've spent, I think the last three years, we spent about $6 on debt repayments. So we have to pay this money. We can actually reduce that if we borrow cheap money, get rid of the loans that are actually on really expensive interest rates, and then we reduce it. It sounds complicated. It really, really isn't. It is risky, though. Yes. But, it's nothing, not in life, but nothing in life is, is not risky. Yeah. You know, and a, a big jolt to the economy of a massive amount of spending that could build really good 21st century infrastructure would be very much needed. Well, I'd also argue with... Uh, a hard Brexit looking more and more likely uh, two years down the line, now would be the time to be investing in infrastructure that, well, not in an Irish time would be done, but would be approaching being done. Yeah, because we'd actually have spending going on, yeah. so we'd be insulated from it. Um, we could actually have a form of stimulus kicking on inside the country that could insulate us from big crazy stuff going make on Make us look a world. little more attractive to people who might be looking at exactly. leaving. Um, so that was the big missing part of the budget. Um, but, I mean, overall... The budget didn't go after anybody in any huge way, and it didn't really piss too many people off. This was a true compromise budget. Like The government, uh, Fine Gael could not do what Fine Gael wants to do. Um, If Fine Gael decided to pursue a more aggressive budget, which I imagine they probably would have wanted to, uh, Fianna Fáil basically probably would have collapsed the government um, Mm -hmm. because they have very little to lose by collapsing the government uh, because it is not a popular government. But also Fine Gael had no interest in doing that. Yes, so, um, and, and this uh, is kind of a last hurrah for Michael as well. This yes, is like Noonan. I think it is Noonan's probably last budget. He's done six of them now. They've all been terrible for everyone. <laughs> yeah, they haven't been great. So, but this is sort of his last, you know. I mean, uh, 
problem is uh, from a populist view is very simply yes they gave everyone a little bit but no one got anything that they really made a difference to life like the universal social charge was halved in a lot of places but the universal social charge is massively unpopular austerity measure it's not it's not technically a tax by the way that's what it's because you can't it's charge uh, you, yes you can't um, put claim it on it your back. tax returns yeah. you can't claim it back and reducing it helps but the problem is is that reducing it much like the the couple of extra bob in the social welfare it makes such a tiny dent uh, in people's lives that they just don't notice it from week to week. I've always, I mean, I've said this a lot in this podcast, but I think every budget we, we miss VAT and we over-focus on income. Yeah. So people look at income taxes and they think that it brings in a huge amount of money, which it does, but they also forget that VAT brings in $12 billion. So VAT is an enormous tax that affects everybody and disproportionately affects those who are poor because yes. they don't save and they spend more of their money on stuff. And revenue set what food is. So technically speaking, everybody kind of knows in the back of their head that VAT on food is supposed to be zero. Yes. Since 2009, revenue have been releasing these big PDFs every year of what classifies as food you would be very surprised at some of the items that they no longer classify as food, which is kind of really weird that our revenue raising agency are now in charge of what is nutritional, yeah. which is kind of, by any standard, kind of crazy and a little bit Stalinist when you think about it. Like, they, these guys will decide what food is, you know? Shut up, eat your bowl of cashew. <laughs> it's a little odd. Um, so that could definitely do with reform. But instead of actually cutting USC and cutting tax rates, income tax rates, I always thought that what we should do is close some loopholes that give huge amounts of money to people. Like we just changed the whole inheritance tax again. Uh, so now that you basically pay no tax on things like for 300 grand, I'm like, why? I know that's property, but still, why? Why should you, what, you get that for free? Why? You know, I, that just that's for wealthy people, like. Nobody I know has a house like that. No. Do you know, like... It's, well, it, it's also the problem, but anyone who does have a house like that, it's not one person inheriting that property. No, but also, the house could be a negative equity. So, yes. like, I, I get that point. If, if the thing was structured in such a way that if you're inheriting a property that's in negative equity, don't tax the guy. Yeah. That makes total sense, because that's unfair. He's, in, he's inheriting a big bunch of crap that he then has to, he or she, has to then deal <laughs> with. But at the same point, if it's fully, you know, marketable, they should pay something off it. Yeah. That's like a pretty logical thing to do. So the idea of just randomly changing the bands to make voters in Dunleary Rat Down happy, I understand that Fine Gael have three out of the four seats down there, but the whole policy cannot be dictated by these very narrow, small interest groups. But that obviously is the whole Fine Gael thing. It's focusing on these little groups of voters. But a, a VAT cut of, you know, three, four, five percent would reduce revenue technically but could also boost spending. Because if things are cheaper, people buy more stuff. Well, it's Look also... Look at sales. At the post-Christmas sale is a great example. Look at the sale. People go out and they buy stuff. Well, actually, on the post-Christmas sale, I wanted to bring up the Christmas bonus. Oh, yes. Right. So I was unaware the Christmas bonus is uh, if you're on a social welfare payment, you get... Uh, it wasn't... It was... But they stopped in 2008 until 2000... Last year. Yeah, until last year, 2015. So seven years it wasn't there. Now, the thing that people forget about... The, the Christmas bonus looks like you're giving poor people nice chunk of change. And that's, that is what they're doing. But at the same time, I think the trick that a lot of people miss 
it's also to stimulate business during Christmas. Yes. Um, and they recently they went to put it up to eighty percent, which is seventy-five or eighty. It's, it's, it's eighty, I believe. Because okay. I remember thinking it was a very odd number. Odd number, yeah. Um, but uh, it's an interesting thing because it shows that this this budget in particular was a very minusculely worked out exactly what could be given at its maximum to as many people as possible. Mm-hmm. As you were saying, to focus in on certain groups. But the problem with doing that is that none of it is significant enough to really win voters over. Mm-hmm. It, they won't lose voters. But they won't win any voters over. It's like a very interesting budget because I don't think we've had such a unanimously... Nah, it's okay. Yeah, I don't, we haven't had a meh budget in a long time. Yeah, which maybe not a bad thing. No, Budgets probably no. shouldn't be this exciting, um, or scary. No, they, I mean they that, tended to be scary the was, last two years. That was the big thing about this budget. Was I remember I was looking it up, of course, as it came out, and it was like, oh, everything is actually pretty good. Yeah, it's not not terrifying. The hell out of people. Yeah. Um, I mean, the but, thing is that you're right. I mean, I, I wonder though. There is a conventional wisdom within our political class, not within the voters, but the political class, that tax cuts of the USC or income tax are easier to sell to voters. Mm. In comparison to tax credits, of course they are. Tax credits are complicated. Most people don't look at their freaking P60. They Barely don't care. understand it. They don't care. Really, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, they don't care. They don't think about that. They're aware of it kind of peripherally. And so, yeah, if it's a difference between tax cuts and tax credits, of course the tax cuts are going to win. But the idea that somehow a VAT rate reduction is not something that people would be aware of if the top one was reduced, I think people would be very aware of it. Because but, people were aware when it went up to 23 and went, hang on, I'm paying a quarter of everything to the state, then people really began to cop on. Well, there is a, another big part of this that I, I'm very curious to see how this plays out. We have multiple strikes uh, hitting the country in the next few weeks until probably January. Yeah. Uh, from Gardaí, uh, the various transport unions, I imagine we'll see one or two more strikes coming rail, up. Rail, maybe. Yeah. Uh, probably Aaron. rail. Yeah. Well, the problem is you give one transport group something, you have to give them all something. I mean, that's something reasonable. Yeah, and yeah. this this strike in the Dublin buses has had a knock-on effect. They struck, uh, thus, it's, they just spread throughout the transport unions. And with the transport unions are getting something, all the other civil servants who've had some quite awful cuts and aren't getting paid what you would expect to be reasonable um, and now going on strike, including the Gardaí, which is technically illegal, but we'll see how that works out. Yeah, that'll be interesting. Uh, and now the teachers, uh, as of the end of last week, announced they are also looking at doing a strike. And there's, there's noises of a nurses or something? Right, noises of nurses. In fact, uh, some nurses in some particular hospitals down rule, south are work to rule already. And what about the junior doctors? Are they going to do something, you think? Ah, uh, see, but the junior doctors are always an interesting one because I always wonder if they ever have the time even to, 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 to yeah. I mean, they would organize down the a strike. They did it, though. Um, yeah. And this kind of shows where the problem with this budget is, is that those sectors make up a huge amount of the workforce in Ireland. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are three areas in particular that have suffered quite severe cuts and unlike strikes in the past where they were asking to be brought up the standard of the private sector or asking for a little bit more this is them asking for things they were promised back in 2007 2008 yeah, it's a rollback of cuts that were there yeah. um and i really wonder if this was factored in when they were thinking about reducing things like the universal social charges this might ease things but 
I think they massively underestimated the discontent in these areas. I think it, I think it goes back to the election. Yeah, it goes back to the election, and actually there was a the Fine Gael thinking there was a they had two studies commissioned, and they both pretty much said like running around the country telling everybody that the recession was over and that it was Tommy Armin and Wicca were all on the pig's back and everything would be fantastic. Then said people going, great, it's all done. Where's the money? Yes. Because all of these cuts were put in by, I think it's called FEMPI, the uh, emergency, it's like an emergency measures sort of, a package of laws. Yeah. I don't know what the full acronym stands for, but it's called FEMPI. And it was passed like at the height in 2008 to sort of put in massive cuts into public sector pay on the proviso that this was A, temporary, and B, in the national interest. Yeah. If you then run an election where you say, we're out of the recession, bailout's over, Troika's gone, then everyone goes, okay, so it's temporary, it's gone then, right? So things go back to how it was. And then if you've got Fine Gael in power and they're sort of sitting there going, whoa, we might have actually over, you know, sold the goose here and there's not actually a lot of things to go around, then you're going to have a big problem because you've got expectations on one hand pent up over nearly a decade. You've got a lot of pissed off people in private and public sectors who are going, I'm not getting paid well. This is driving me mad. And I think there would be probably more private sector strikes if there actually were private sector unions. Yes. And this is part of the other thing, because in the early 1990s, this is not very well known, uh, Bertie Hearn made it easier for private companies to break unions internally. As we've seen with Duns. Yeah, yeah, some of them are unionized, but they're not to the same power as their public sector. No, they they, they more have bargaining power, but virtually no striking capability. Yeah, not in the same degree. It would be interesting if they ever did, because that would really change a lot of the sort of debates. You would need a lockout level strike. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's the fundamental problem. You would. Um, But, uh, yeah, see... And in a way, I think a lot of private sector workers are probably looking at the public sector guys going, they're striking... Not on behalf of me, but it could benefit me. Well, you know see, what I mean? There's that kind of implied... the interesting turnaround I found. Because um, back in 2008, when these cuts first came in, the general feeling from the private sector was they should all get cut because how unfair that you know we've lost jobs and pay and work and so on, and they're still fine. And the cuts were, I think, a lot more extreme than people think. See, they, they were quite soft if you were in a solid job and had been for a while. If you were senior. Um, and even then, soft is a light way of putting it. They were soft in comparison to what happened to people just entering all these sectors. Mm-hmm. If you were even able to enter these sectors anymore, because a lot of them were locked off, which is where the Gardaí are having Problems. to recruit 8,000 Gardaí in the next two years. 8,000? Yeah. Something nuts. Is it 8,000? It's something. No, it was well, it's a, only 13,000 in the forest. That means it's like, what, two-thirds are going to go? Or no? They, well, you heard there's a lot of retirements coming there in. They're having severe manpower They have a issues. manpower problem. Um, they do. And uh, the pro- change now is that a lot of the private sector, having seen the effects of these cuts over nearly a decade, have had the realization, oh, wait, you can't actually expect like to use a garda as an example and yes they're having corruption issues but the problem is you can't expect a guy to be being paid at starting wage of i think 23 24 or something ridiculous mm-hmm. you can't expect a guy to be going out in a stab proof vest around dublin yeah. armed with pepper spray yeah and 
uh, expect that he will be happy on a wage of twenty two thousand. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, that's um, that's and that twenty thousand before tax. So oh yes. Yeah, yeah. Of course, and um, and the universal social charge. Yeah, but also <laughs> the the VAT rate. Yeah. He's got to buy things. He's got to pay rent, or she's got to pay rent. The person, the cop, yeah. has to spend all this stuff. So we we overemphasize again, and our media is terrible for this, probably because a lot of them never really did anything beyond higher level maths. Yeah. So like they did higher level maths with the leaving cert, and that's about the limit of their mathematical sort of abilities, which is fine. But there are economists who walk among us. They're not monks. We can ask them questions. They understand high-level maths. And, you know, they will be able to tell you, like, you know, VAT is a problem. High rent is a problem. Uh, the cost of living, which of which VAT has a disproportionate impact on, is what actually cuts into your weekly or monthly spending, as opposed to at-source tax yeah. rates. Because that's a very different thing. They're taking that money before you spend it. It's not like you're spending it and then this hand comes into your wallet and takes yes. the tenor. The tenor is gone. You've never had access to it at all. It's immediately left before anyone yeah, ever but I saw mean, it. That's a complicated thing to explain, but it would be nice if anyone in our media system would actually do it. Well, I mean, this is uh, we were discussing this before in relation to the, the bus strike, is that... Yeah. You know, people hear, oh, they're looking for 55 grand, and that sounds like a hell of a lot more until you start taxing it. Yeah. Um, and then you start going, do they have a mortgage? Do they got kids? Yeah. Uh, Is the wife working? Is she not? I don't know. Suddenly it's down at around 30 grand, which yeah. is not bad, but uh, very difficult to. You got a house, you got children. Especially in Dublin. Yeah. Because, yeah, they're in Dublin. I mean, I suppose if you're driving a bus, you kind of get free transport to an extent. To an extent, but, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, they're trying to phase that out, yeah. too, that the bus drivers get free transport themselves. So then, you know. Um, I mean, I wonder if the minimum wage should go up much more. I mean, I obviously, I would like it to be mm. more like 12, 13, 14 for Dublin. Yeah. Because it's so expensive to live here. But obviously... 14 euros an hour does not make economic sense in Roscommon, North Leitrim, or Sligo. Well, see, this is... This is the other problem, of This course. is the massive... I mean... So, in a way, it's almost like we need a national floor for for minimum wage, and then we need different rates for different areas. Well, so, you have, like a, like, a mandatory minimum, and then you build on top of it. Well, you, you just be introducing um, location pay, essentially. Yeah. Uh, added on. But, I mean, this is one of the bigger problems that Dublin is seriously running into now. I mean... Uh, aside from people who are already here and have managed to lock down a place, most people can't risk coming to Dublin to try find work. No. It's just not worth the risk. Being on the dole in the middle of bumfuck nowhere is more economically sound than risking trying to find one somewhere to live in Dublin and find a job. Even though the, it, there is a recovery happening. There's no denying that. Yeah. But with the minimum wage levels and the rent increases... It's the problem. It is that problem of if you're working on a shop on O'Connell Street, uh, or you're a uh, accountant working on O'Connell Street, you guys are paying the same rent and transport costs, and that's the killer in Dublin. That's yeah. It's that's such not a great way to put it. The expenses. Yeah, exactly. It's you could have a really high level job. You could have a really crappy job. You're still paying the same money. Yeah. And that is what kills you. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah, we don't really have low rent areas anymore in Dublin. There used to be uh, ones, I mean, not far from the city centre that, look, they weren't nice, but they were cheap. Yeah, but they've all gone up now. But now even the absolute 
horrible places with no heating that were tenements are now like a grand are st- yeah. Yeah, yeah basically yeah. one room flats in Ranelagh are like a grand now you're like who would pay that for that you know well so, that was the one recently on social media someone was uh, renting out a shed oh for some 750 a month for a shed like. it was for a shed it had a toilet and a kitchen combined combined with, combined oh hygienic uh, and a washing machine in another shed Oh. Yeah, and this wasn't a granny flat deal. This was just a shed. A shed. You know, I live in a granny flat. Yeah. Granny flats are a small little nice house for you know yeah. weird old people and myself. This is a shed. You know, this this is a shed with a bed. Wow. You know. Wow, that's not good. That's not that's like a nice shed that you would fix cars in, but still a shed. Shantytown yeah. stuff here. Yeah. I mean, and the government has done very little to fix the housing crisis because they can do nothing. This is the other problem because they let it get to this level. Intervention at this level, at this point in time, will have benefits in the future, as opposed to right now. Unless they can open up all the non-domiciled residences, which would require big legislation to go in and do that. I mean, that's probably where we are now in terms of crisis management is, how do we get the empty properties that are either just sold by NAMA or still sitting in NAMA and get humans into them. Well, Because they, they are all over the city, but it's like you actually have to then... We've got a constitutional crisis then because we have a very strict constitutional provision that guarantees property rights. Well, I mean, And people keep forgetting that, like, yes, there are all these proposals, but a lot of them aren't going to just pass the constitutional scrutiny. Well, I mean... As I, much as I, I might I, agree with I'd them, agree they're just that not. The, the, the fundamental problem is that... Or two major parties, which are much more less major now, mm. Fianna Gael and Fianna Fáil, suffer from being quite conservative and properly conservative, not socially conservative or fiscally Small conservative. C, kind of just, just don't change very, Don't let that's that's wait till it's a good time. And the problem is, is that it's never going to be a perfect time to undergo such a radical change. Uh, and delaying it just makes the problem worse and worse, steadier year by year. And more and more difficult to solve. And that's where we're at now, is that years of not solving... This, this was a problem, again, eight years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, this yeah. was an approaching problem yeah. 15 years ago. Yeah, yeah. It was no... You know, this, this, the housing crisis has continued to be a crisis for 15 years, but there was never a good time. When times were good, they didn't want to risk disrupting yeah. the market. When times got bad, well, they couldn't risk losing what left what was left of the market. Yeah. During recovery, well, you didn't want to shake recovery. And now that we're theoretically out of recovery and doing well, you don't want to risk shaking it up, especially with the risk of Brexit. And the problem is, is when is there actually going to be a good time to deal with this crisis? If you take Dublin on its own and not look at the rest of the all-Ireland housing crisis, because that's actually happening on both sides of the border, but predominantly on our side of the border... But it's happening not just in Dublin. But if you just take the Dublin part of it, one of the things that's the problem is there is a group of people who've come to Dublin for work who are not from Dublin and want to live in semi-detached houses with gardens, basically. And that is a huge problem. Yeah. Because we have le- led to massive amounts of urban sprawl because they basically want to replicate the countryside in a kind of crappy housing estate. Now that for me is a horrendous 
I personally find that kind of very unpleasant, the idea of living in such a kind of dense, gray mass of a housing estate. That's like, for me, that's kind of where serial killers come from. <laughs> I don't really like the idea of it, but it seems to me logical that you only have X amount of land in a city. You have to build up. And people just need to get over the garden thing well, that's, and get into apartments. Well, that's the problem with Dublin, is that people want to have the nice little estate garden that you'd have out in a town like where I live, where yeah. there is land for miles and it's yeah. all shit and it's built in the bog. Yeah. But uh, you can't have that in a city, and you can't have that in a city which is allergic to the notion of building up. Yeah. You need to choose one or the other. If you don't build up, then you have to build dense. Uh, people are wanting to have both and you can't. No, and we've you reached a point now where we really can't. So we're going to actually just have to build massive apartment blocks that go up and not flats. Yes. Because we made such a disaster of that. And a lot of the new apartments are okay. They're not wonderful, but they're not terrible. Oh, very nice. I have balconies a lot of time. There were attempts to do this during the Tiger, but they, they kind of turned into sort of like trendy, designery type apartments as opposed to a practical... You know, I'm always th- I always think of the sort of New York, practical, 16-story, 1930s-style apartment. Yeah. With an elevator and, you know, you go up and you do the thing. But uh, moving on, though, uh, to the government as it stands. Yeah, so, okay, so we've had, like, you know, our Hamlet sort of experience with this government of will they, won't they, to be or not to be, they're now in government and now we're stuck with them. And they managed to pass a budget which was in everyone's head the big challenge if they didn't pass a well, budget yeah, that was... it would have been an instant election. Yeah. So. And by the way, they still haven't passed it because yes. like we had the budget announcement but the, the bills haven't fully all gone yeah. through yet and it'll be interesting to see who votes on what sections of said bills. That'll be an interesting, probably more sort of just for the really hardcore enthusiasts who would be like, oh, that person voted on this bill or whatever. And, you know, you'll see some of that featuring in attack ads. But long-term, two questions. Can this government function long-term? No. Can Fine Gael, being the, the driving force of this government, replace its leader in a non-ideological food fight and lead itself into a second general election where it can either gather 60 plus seats to govern really on its own or come to some arrangement with Fianna Fáil into this sort of much maligned grand coalition. That's kind of where I sit and look at this. Well, I mean, I'd argue that this government as it is is meeting the bare bare requirements for functional. Constitutionally? Yeah, just about. Yeah. Um, But... I will also stand by my argument that I think this government is being forced by the external pressures of a hard Brexit um, to stick together. Mm-hmm. I think they, the again, both of them are conservative small C parties. I think both are scared of basically having to take the reins or risk having a less stable government going into the incredibly shaky waters of Brexit, especially especially before we know what England's next government is actually going to look like. Yeah, I mean, there is that there is that factor of, like, I, I think we were talking to Phil, our friend, mm. earlier, and he was saying, I think the, the conservative majority in the UK is seven yeah. or eight, so it's a very narrow majority. And so, yeah, I think our general election will not be contingent on their general election, but there will be some linkages between those two. I think there's a, the political will isn't there until there's more certainty 
about what Brexit is going to look like. Although I would say this, that this government could be pulled down for really stupid stuff. And oh, like, God, We yes. have a really yes. long history of tearing governments down because they do something dumb. I mean, it, there's so many sm- just small scandals or stumbling blocks that could just collapse this government in a night. It, it is thing, yeah, wonderfully that, terrifying. Well, the thing that worries me the most is that they've kicked so much stuff into next year. Any problem they found, oh, we have got a commission. They'll be talking to us. Oh, next yes. Year. Oh, we've got a problem. You know, it's like the old, remember the old joke about Republicans in America used to be, your wife left you, have a tax cut. <laughs> someone ran over your kid with a bus, have a tax cut. Your house on fire, have a tax cut. Like the, the solution was always a tax cut. But this is the same. It's like the solution is, oh, well, the cops seem to be completely corrupt and having huge problems at senior management. We'll have a commission. Abortion <laughs> is back on the agenda. We'll have a commission and a constituency assembly, which nobody knows anything about. Um, we're having a problem with housing. We have a commission. We're having water. We're having a commission. How many commissions can we have? Like, well, I mean, to me, they, they all cost money. It's not like they're free. Oh, yeah. um, like people seem to think that oh, it's a great. He's spending money. That's like four million euros a commission. Well, to me, this is this is uh, the evolution of the Fine Gael whip. They can't have yeah. the whip let they had in the last government, where they just said everyone shut up, Vote do as we do, yeah. do what we want. Yeah. Because if they do that, the government will just collapse. Yeah. So now, rather than... Again, they don't like talking. They really dislike talking in the Fine Gael party. And understandably, because when they talk, people don't like them. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so the, the commission showing. solution is... Uh, well, no, we're, we're, we're having some other people discuss it to tell us what we think. Or more correctly, we're having some other people discuss it, probably to decide what we already think, but we can always blame them for thinking that way. Isn't this kind of like the reason why people hate politicians is because they always I mean, run to experts? Actually, you know what this is? This this is the political equivalent of a ventriloquist. Yeah. This is a, this yeah, is yeah, 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 yeah. sitting with a puppet going like, I think we should you know have an abortion referendum. <laughs> going, oh well, the puppet said we should have an abortion referendum. <laughs> It's not our idea. Like they were, we don't think we should do this. But the puppet says. The puppet said so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That was the thing about Bush, wasn't it? He had a little friend. Um, yeah, no, it's true. That you're right. They, they, they do farm everything out, and we are being kind of facetious, yes. and we're having fun at Fine Gael's expense. To any Fine Gael listeners, we do apologize for your wounded feelings. Um, but the thing is, you can't govern by commission, right? Uh, you can kick things away from you in the short term. But like all of these commissions reports, the way I see it, are all going to come back in a linear sequence of like one every couple of weeks yes. next year. And they're all going to come back and all have bombs in them that can blow the government apart. So like all you've managed to do is go, okay, so we'll have no crisis from June to December. But from January, by Jesus, you better buckle up because it's going to be like coming in at a rate of every two weeks. And the thing is, our media love a shit show. So they're going to run amok. We'll have every clown on RTE running around going, and the government is in crisis and all this kind of nonsense. But what will actually happen for Joe Voter sitting at home is going to be, these guys aren't running anything. It's just going to look like chaos. And if there's one thing that Irish voters hate, it's chaos. Yes. Um, really hate chaos. Well, the bigger problem is I see it. The, the commission's problem is very simply that the commission will always come back with a very logical um, Practical answer, solution, which, yeah. And, well, they very rarely come out with straight-up solutions. The, well, it depends on what they're asked. Depend, a lot of the time they come out with, well, here's the problems, here's the numbers, and here's the ways you can solve it. And all of them are massively unpopular, and you have to pick one now. It, yeah, it is. Um, 
Sophie's Choice. It'll all be bad. Yeah, and and there's no way getting around it once you've given it to a commission. There's no... You can't just ignore the commission. Yeah, You yeah. set up the commission to tell you what to do. Yeah. Now they're telling you what to do, and you you have very little choice or options. And by the way, there's it, good. There's actually historical precedence for this in the last government, in 2014, because mm. in 2013 they had all sorts of problems. They all got mm-hmm. kicked to commissions. And then for three months in the summer of 2014, we had commission report after commission report after commission report, and government support dropped 12 points. Oh, they were so disastrous. There is, there is like a correlation and between The this. bigger thing, some of the, these commissions, um, something that I think the governments tend to forget, the commissions tend to end up looking into places where there are problems that no one realized there were problems. Yeah, uh, the big one stuff. that happened in that 2014... Was the tapping of telephones. Well, oh, that was... Th- sorry, a different big <laughs> one that was discovered <laughs> was uh, they ended up looking at uh, carers. Yeah. And then they discovered that, considering all the horrible church caring issues, they discovered that the amount of people who had been kicked from church care homes to government care homes and the situation had gotten worse and they had largely been forgotten about mm-hmm. until the commission rolled around and went who who's this yeah, yeah. and then went and found them and turned out it was absolutely awful and horrific mm-hmm. and they had now left continuing sorry the government is now left with this continuing issue of oh god how do we deal with this problem without well just money i think part of it as well is that a lot of these commissions end up negotiating with legacy issues because People forget this, that up until 1997, we did not have a right in this country to free access of information about us, about ourselves. So government files on people were not, we weren't allowed to access information on ourselves. So that meant from 1922 to 1997, there was this 75-year period where the government did stuff in secret. Uh, Some of it rather benign, some of it really horrific. And now we have a situation where we live in a society which is far more transparent, but we have this 75-year history where there was just darkness. Yes. And every time these commissions happen, because people are still alive prior to 1997, you're going to engage with it. And until we kind of can rationalize this properly, it's going to continually be a problem. I mean, I don't see any solution to that. Because if you have 75 years of literally radio silence, we're not releasing anything, and then you go to a situation where since 2014, and to his credit, Howland actually did a good uh, FOI bill, you can now access a huge amount of information for a very small cost, you have the total opposite. And government can't cope. Yeah. And civil servants can't cope. Because nobody has ever dealt with this. Well, there, there's an addition... And that magnifies all the problems of the commissions because they're designed to go out and find something out. And when you're finding something out, you have other avenues and other pieces of information filtered to you. Well, I think the, the final problem for the commissions and a purely political party problem, an election problem, is that they don't allow you to have any ideology. Even though they are ideological. They are, but they don't allow you... You can't have any... Right. You can't have any great rallying call of we need to fix this because of this. It, well, it's not rhetorical. Yeah, yeah because you, and once you lose that, it makes your leadership look rather weak because mm. you're not going, we need to fix this. Uh, for instance, okay, let's say the Gardaí. They're not coming out and going, we need to fix the issues in the Gardaí because our society is based off of this, that, and the other great ideological rallying cry. Instead, it's like, well, the commission has reported that we have these issues and to solve it, we have gone with these measures. And it creates that problem where no one's 
looking up to the guy who's just saying, well, I read the report and the report says. You know, it, there's no way there's no way you really go, well, I that what that man said about reading, I like that reading bit. Yeah, it's also the public like a a, a blood sport like no, they, look, remember, the public like people's no, heads on pikes Joe Higgins yeah. they love Joe Higgins yeah, but people like heads on pikes yeah. so when you when like when you want to spin a report you kind of need a boogeyman like we got this guy and we're going to get him and he's going to go to jail and it's always like you know the power trip well of course the problem with the commissions is occasionally they do find the boogeyman it turns out they were the boogeyman yeah, they just else, forgot yeah, about it or else it's a minister or somebody yes. you can't hit and then it gets really messy so yeah they, they are a problem and they are going to just explode all over the government next year and they know it which comes to the second point which is and Kenny and does he stay and Kenny is 68 67? I think around that. Yeah. Like he looks great for his age, but he is in his late sixties. I think Hawhey and Devilair were the oldest Tishik. Yeah. Tishik in our history, and I don't know if the country's really happy for a seventy-plus-year-old Tishik. I don't think so. That might be ages, but I just don't think the country's going to really want to go there. So the question is, when does he go, and how does he go? Because Fine Gael have a horrendous history of internal feuds, fights, the whole nine yards when it comes to changing leader. Since the 80s, uh, Fingale have not had easy transitions with their leadership. Well, and I, I don't know what the solution for that will be. I mean, it's their party. Well, the problem like, with Fingale is that the leader defines the party every time there's a new leader, the party shifts well, it's public persona shifts to match the leader. Which kind of makes sense. Yeah, it's not a bad system. but And this is why Fine Gael leaders do tend to be quite long-lasting. But the problem is is that I don't think Fine Gael has ever been quite in a position there where they were so torn between their identity. Um, to explain that. Well, they're, they're traditionally a rural party that is now an urban party. Yeah. Um... They were... Well, they haven't been wealthy farmers in a long time. No. Um, traditionally, they were a very religious party. And they are still probably the most religious party. But they're not... Because of the social changes in Ireland, they can't be outwardly religious and maintain popularity. I mean, this is why, again, like the gay marriage referendum was also spun off as a... Yeah. You know... Commission. A, yeah, an advisement. Um, and... Then there's the, the, the final problem of Enda Kenny has been, to his credit, holding that party together really, I feel, by pointing guns at the heads of everyone else. Um, by keep, that, That's the only way he's kept the factions from devouring each other. And I can't tell if there's any real structure to the leadership of Fine Gael, aside from Enda Kenny basically keeping everything in order. I mean, he has been there since 2002. Yeah. So he's 14 years in charge. It's a long time. Um, and there's no clear successor. This, is, this isn't no. like, uh, you know, Hahi to Bertie, Bertie to Count. No, know. it's not like that. There, there is a clear line, or at least people who are clearly set to be leaders. Uh, Fine Gael yeah, has... And, I mean, I wonder about this Simon Coveney, Leo Varadkar thing. I know that they're talked about a lot in the media and whatever, and they, they would be seen as the natural heirs to end it. 
they are both different. They both have significant flaws. I think Leo's flaws are much more severe than Simon's. Mm. I think Simon has the problem where he is from Cork, and that's not like a knock at Cork. It's just that the leader of Fianna Gael is also, or Fianna Fáil is also from Cork, from the same constituency, yes. so it is a bit more messy. Um, and also, well, can a Cork TD get that many votes from Dublin? It's, there is that regional thing. So the question is, like, is there going to be a dark horse? Almost certainly. Because yes. Fine Gael have a long tradition of dark horses. Well, and the, Kenny the, himself was a dark horse way back the in the early 2000s. tradition of if you have a, possibly three or four groups in a party, none of them can agree, eventually after a couple of rounds of voting, someone who no one's been really paying attention to just sort of steps into the role. Yeah, yeah, that's true. You know, that's um, true. I mean, the other thing is, do they do a caretaker situation? Like if I was them, which I'm not, but if mm-hmm. I was them, I would say... I'm going to put somebody senior in charge for a little bit. I'm going to stand down. We're going to have another election with a new leader, right? And then after the leader, after the election, we're going to have an Ardesh and we'll have a full party Congress and we'll, we'll sort it out there. We'll thrash it out with all the members. See, I mean, there's another, That's one way there's another, there's another issue here though. What Ireland does not have a good history with changing Taoiseach in the middle of a government. We're not good at that. No. Um, it usually the go the, the changing party leader is never good at the best of times, no. but in Ireland it tends to lead to an awful lot of infighting and issues. the defeat of the person. Yeah, too, yeah. um, and like it's difficult to say if Coveney was to run over Radcar, would he leave Radcar in such an important role? Um, would he trust him enough? Yeah, yeah, and similarly, would, the, would Leo would Radcar do the same, do the same for Coveney? And considering that they are a minority government that is only holding power thanks to independence. You know what? This just occurred to me. This is really similar to Fianna Fáil in the 60s when Sean Lamass was yes. stepping down. Sean Lamass stepping down, they had on one hand Charlie Hawhey, on the other hand George Colley representing the two kind of wings of sort of Fianna Fáilism, and then Jack Lynch was the compromise in the yeah. middle. And I wonder if we're in a similar because there is a similar dynamic within Fine Gael. You see, the interesting thing is, of course, Jack Lynch was massively popular, huge, yeah. Um, and I don't think Fine Gael has anyone in the wings. I could be wrong, mm. but I don't think they have any party members in the wings who have. Fine, well, Fine, Gael, Fine Gaelers would point to polls saying that Leo is very, very popular. Yeah, but, but it's not the same thing. It's right? not the same thing because Leo is popular, but and respected to a degree but I'm not going to even pretend Jack Lynch was mainly able to to hold it together because this was hurling I'm not going to pretend that there's any it wasn't his political skill it was like well everyone likes him and he's he's a pretty cool lad whereas popularity as a political thing is very different as you know it bites you in the ass as frequently as it pats you on the head yeah and also Leo's Um, never really been through a really rough vet yeah and I think and once you once you start campaigning for leadership, people start looking at you different. They go, "I yeah yeah, it was fine when you were a minister and you're running around, but now you have to answer me questions." Yeah, and I think uh, a lot of the Fine Gael obvious candidates for leader have just enough bad baggage. They also have a lot of privately held right wing beliefs, yes, which are going to be really hard to sell to the country and, and very Andy, hard Andy to Kenny, hide. Andy Kenny did a great job where basically he was like, "Ah oh, yeah, I've got hard right beliefs, but I'm a pragmatist." Yes. And everyone kind of went. 
okay, yeah. And also, he was there a long time. Yeah. So it wasn't like a surprise. So people knew. They knew. They, we knew what we were getting. Yeah, yeah. He'd been there since 1975. We knew exactly yeah. what we were getting. Leo's only been there since 2007. Yeah. Um, so, you know. And I mean, I, I, I can also see the problem of how do you switch T-Shock in the middle, right? When you are heavily dependent on independence. And Fianna Fáil. So, and Fianna Fáil. And Fianna Fáil so, of all people. Just excluding Fianna Fáil for the moment. That means any of those independents who have an issue with the potential new leader of Fianna Gael... Are going to nobble it, yeah. ...could completely destroy the government. Mm-hmm. And that is a terrifying notion. I mean, yeah. how, how do you take that risk? I don't know if there is any issues. I think but there is, though. I'm pretty confident there are. <laughs> and I'm pretty confident... Those are the public ones we know about. Yeah, there's probably a lot of private ones, yeah. Um, I imagine, for example, I can't imagine the Heedy Rays don't have some grudges. No, they're not supporting this government, but yeah. Oh, are they not? I thought they were. They're not, no. no. But they could be in a future iteration. Oh, yes, iteration. They, they, they were, they were the, the last options. The they backups. had to go with everyone else before they went yeah, with them, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. But, and then, of course, you have the Fianna Fáil issue where... They're not going to want a new leader. They want Enid to stay because he's unpopular. Well, they want Enid to stay, and they don't want a new leader because I, I still believe that Michal Martin has no particular aims to be Taoiseach. I think he's an interim leader. Um, I also just don't think he... He just can't get it over the line. Yeah. A lot, I, of, people, I, I, a lot of people I, just won't accept him as Taoiseach. No, I completely, I completely including agree. Including me, by I, the way. I, I think that's known, though. Yeah. Um, so they, they don't want to have... Uh, a weak Fine Gael leader because then they will have to step up to play and probably decide on their new leader and I don't think they're quite ready to make any kind of major political move like that Fianna Fáil is very happily being well their problem is that they still have too many old guard guys sitting around there. too many old guard time hasn't passed enough yeah. and they've been spending a very long time slowly rebuilding keeping mostly quiet and stable and steady they also, and they do not want to shake they've also realized that they've hit a ceiling Yes. This was a great election for Fianna Fáil. Mm-hmm. And they could have, well, you could argue that they should have done better. Well, they didn't because they, they did run a very conservative strategy. But I wonder if they're hitting a ceiling here because I don't know how much more support they're going to get. Yeah. Uh, and 44 seats is no joke. Like. Yeah, I mean, I think... I think uh, and we're in a situation where actually the three largest parties are all sort of in leadership, kind of not turmoil, but questions. Well, I think there's there's the fundamental uh, ongoing issue where I don't think we've ever been in a position where both the th- all three major parties are incapable of forming a strong government. Even with coalition, they are incapable of forming a strong government. And I, 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 everyone, the people in government aren't stupid. They know this as well. But that brings up a very interesting question where with no... Without not neither, neither Fianna Gael or Fianna Fáil want to ally themselves with Sinn Féin, mm-hmm. with none of the other parties really being strong enough to form a coalition with, Fianna Gael and Fianna Fáil are now stuck in this very strange position, where quite likely they will always have to have this opt-out minority government style, um, which is a bizarre way to run a country. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have no idea how that is going to impact on the leadership decisions. Because in the past, yes, you could have had much more aggressive leaders of the party, but you can't now. They all have to be centrist now. You can't, you can't have an aggressive Fine Gael leader, 
because Fina Fall will pull the plug. And vice versa. Yeah. Yeah, same situation. Yeah, that that definitely looks short term like the solution, well, not the solution, but the result of probably a next general election. There is one thing to say about the next general election is uh, we're going to have to have another boundary commission because yes. we've had the census. And also after every election, by law, you have to have a boundary commission. But also our current electoral map is unconstitutional. Yeah. Because it doesn't uh, it doesn't allot enough seats. And there was this populist but idiotic for democracy, just stupid pledge to reduce the amount of TDs from 166 to 158, which was made basic. And actually, they wanted to reduce it a hell of a lot more. But then, you know, some lawyer said, actually, you can't because that's unconstitutional, which tells you a lot about our politicians when they don't think. Um Reducing the size of representation only makes rural voters who are going to lose the seat more pissed off. Yeah, because it's never going to be the cities that are going to lose the seat. Of course it isn't, because they're the ones that are growing. So if you have a situation where you're reducing the amount of seats in the legislative body and rural people are losing an extra vote, of course you're going to get mad. And all you're going to do is accelerate Healy-Rayism all over the west of the Shannon, which will lead to greater dysfunction because they will take Fianna Gael, Fianna Fáil seats. Yes. They are gene pool of both of them. So we actually need to increase the size of our parliament because actually an increase in the size of parliament actually gives you a bit more wiggle room. As weird as that sounds, the math actually works out a little bit better. Well, as well as that, it allows the smaller parties more to, seats to, to gather more seats, yeah. which is important for the larger parties. Because you get bigger coalitions yeah, it, then. It's, you know, there were more of fish, the smaller parties. They can't survive also, without attaching themselves to someone also, else. There's this daft media thing where it's like, oh, you need to have two parties and then you have coalition. We've had eight party coalitions before. Yeah. First inter-party government was everybody but Fianna Fáil. Everybody else in the parliament. <laughs> Which tells you how popular Fianna Fáil was. That everybody else was willing to do business. So it has happened before. It will happen again. But we also need to not limit our legislative abilities over dumb populist rhetoric that actually disproportionately affects people from rural communities. Mm. Um, And, you know, there was all this kind of shenanigans about do TDs get paid more money or something? I wasn't really paying a lot of attention to it because I didn't really know what the hell that was about. The pay is tied to the civil servants. So by reducing the tax pay on civil servants, they reduce their own, essentially. Right. Okay. That's... Uh, at the end of the day, it's one of those things where, like, yeah, reason, it sucks, but well, here's not the thing. Get... Here's the reason why this is the other, you always have to explain the reasons for mm. this stuff. The reason why we increased TD's pay was that it reduced nixers and things that used to happen that led to huge amounts of corruption. Yeah. And while a lot of people may think and may say to pollsters that politicians are all corrupt and should all be thrown in a sack. Uh, they are not corrupt in the way that they were 25 years ago. Nowhere near the same extent. And the type of corruption that people are talking about is actually part of the legislative process. People just view it as corrupt, but it is not a crime. Well, no, and I... there is an actual distinction to be made. If a TD secures a job for a constituent, that is not a crime, yeah. depending on how it was done. 
Well, it's the, it's the problem of that viewed from the right lens, a lot of things that is just how people live their lives can look like corruption. Yes. No, that, this isn't a blanket turned, offense. No, Hi, hiring hiring all your family and friends to, to run yeah. your office who were never actually in the office yes. is just straight up That's corruption. called a no-show job. No. That is corrupt, yeah. And if I was to pay said TD 45,000 euros in a brown yeah. paper bag, yes, that is illegal. But Like, here's a good example. What happened in that... Um, spotlight program where there's the video of the guy accepting 45,000 pounds in packages of two how lovely in a car park in a hospital in Belfast that is the definition of corruption money for something that both parties are aware this is completely and utterly exactly exactly but I mean not to be someone who defends politicians because I think that there are a lot of sort of daft stuff about no, them but, but, but to the attack attacking them, all of them yeah. en masse for any small infraction loses the notion of yeah look sometimes you end up dirtying your hands a bit doing what is in fact the right thing yes sometimes you get politicians who are just 100% I just want to get as much money as I can mm-hmm. but a lot of the time the corruption ends up being the, I, I'm going to use the example of a reducing corruption action that, in fact, just made everyone's job more difficult. You have to give a tender contracts if you're in a civil service job to everyone. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, my favorite one is lifts. So, if you're in the west of Ireland, you have to go to three lift companies to see who will take the contract on repairing or installing lifts. In the west of Ireland, there is one lift company, the Ennis Lift Company, and god damn, they terrify me with their lifts. But... Here's the thing. The other two are in Dublin. The other two in Dublin get a phone call and mail going, hang on, we're at a hospital. We're trying to install a lift. Could you uh, have a look at this? They just go, no. Like We're not going to drive out with bloody lifts to mail. This isn't worth their time. Call yeah. the Ennis Lift Company. Yeah. But they can't. They actually need the other companies to provide them, to provide them with a quote and to have come out and checked yeah. the job. Yeah. That, that has actually, yeah, what you've just outlined is happening all over the place. The tenderization of things that was designed to to do two things make things cheaper so the eu said you you have to take the cheapest tender yes which can lead to disasters yeah because companies can lie people seem to forget this they lie and then we only recently started putting penalty clauses in so the guys who got the tender for the lewis they have a penalty clause yeah if they go over they start losing money yeah so that's great because that keeps them in line because people seem to forget, a private company has no incentive to be fair with you. No. They have every incentive to take as much money as possible. It's for profit. It's their That's job. That's their job. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's their ethos is to take money. Um, and they view the government as a piggy bank. So, yeah. of course, they're going to either deflate or inflate their quotes. And then later on, they're going to come back to the government, you know, head in hand, sackcloth and ashes and go, oh, we're so sorry to tell you that there's been delays and we need to increase our quote by... 500%, you know, this st- stuff does happen. So it is good to reduce it, but the way that we do it creates bureaucratic nightmares, or in the case of Ennis Lifts, just stupid stuff. Yeah. Like, obviously, those you guys... go with Ennis Lifts. They're, they're the only people who are there. Yeah, yeah exactly. But uh, I think for final thing, we'll have a quick look at Brexit, oh. the ongoing joy that is... I'm actually, I, I'm delighted that things are actually happening about it because there was this long kind of stasis period where I knew it was bad 
you knew it was bad, but there was actually no economic impact yet. And then it like literally, Amber Rudd came out and scared the bejesus out of everybody. Amber Rudd, for those of our listeners who are not aware of UK politics, is a politician who's only slightly less to the right than Attila the Hun and works as the Minister for Justice, in, or she's the Home Secretary for the Tories. And she advocated basically a kind of quasi-fascist list of every foreign worker in the UK that would go into some sort of special database where they would be assigned numbers, which kind of freaked out everybody who has ever read a history book by going, you can't just create lists of people. Because it was tying them to their jobs as well, which is not common in Europe. But I would actually like to correct... And then, of course, I to think, deport them. I think to the right of the Tiller, the Afhan is unfair. He was very good at instituting a lot of social reforms. That's uh, true, that's true. That's, yes. But uh, no, I think the, the, the main news is that the, the, the hard Brexit has become more and more clear. But the big concern from an Irish uh, point of view... Oh, is that border crap, yeah. Not even that. It's become clear that the English government is not, in fact, aware of its own treaties. Yes, um, so, so with this list of foreign employees per company and so on, um, they, they said they said we were not sure if Irish people would be added to the list, despite the fact that England, because they don't want to give up the claim on the people of Ireland, we are not considered foreign citizens. No. Um, this is clear. Every government has understood it up until this one, mm-hmm. which seems to me a little worrying that we're their neighbour and have the longest history with them of every any European country, and they don't even know our own treaties. Yeah. Just, yeah, well, that, that doesn't surprise me at all because the Tories have never cared about no. cross-border relationships. Uh, they didn't negotiate Good Friday. It was no surprise that it was a Labour government that actually created peace in Northern Ireland and nobody should be shocked mm. that the Tories didn't do it. Um, ever since David Cameron took office in 2010, he's done everything humanly possible to derail that up there yes. because he is looking at those eight... DUP MPs yes. are going, they're dead handy if I ever get in any trouble and I have these recalcitrant liberals in my own party and I need to run to these deeply scary right-wing uh, DUP ministers or DUP MPs who can kind of keep us up, uh, keep us in power, basically. So they're making political calculations on that one. The thing about Theresa May, who's just in power and has basically pissed off our government, because our government's sitting there going, we have to deal with you in good faith, but we're even not sure how to deal with you in good faith because it's clear that you guys can't read or are not aware of what these treaties are. The thing about this, Ireland will create a border around the whole country, including Northern Ireland, which will then be the pass-through for which all EU things come into the UK is odd for a number of reasons. The first one that occurs to me is the idea of British import-export controls being put at Irish ports and airports is reminiscent of the treaty ports, which was a huge problem for this country. Well, I put it this way. I'm not a massive Republican guy, but but, if they start deciding they're putting anything like a border or any kind of tariff for customs ports that are under English control in Shannon... I'm going to have issues. And the thing is, people keep saying, oh, it's like the Americans in Dublin Airport. They have a border control. That's a completely different thing. That is one tiny part of the airport. Well, aside from that, there's a very important difference. We were never invaded by the United States. True. 
they're not occupying part of the island. No. So. <laughs> well, it's also yeah. I mean, you could. That's a Republican argument. To say no. They're it, yes, it, but, but yeah. it is something that has to be kept in mind that I don't think people, even in Europe, let alone the yeah. UK, quite realize that. I have no issue with the UK doing whatever it wants. If it wants to shoot itself in the foot, I'm more than happy. But we don't want them um, taking over our ports and airports. I will never yeah. want them anywhere near our yeah. ports and, and, and airports. And it is one of those things that will, like, and it kicks up my republicanism too, because I get very nervous, because I go, we had the treaty reports. When those were there, that was this touchstone issue for Republicans. There are people who are still alive who remember the treaty reports, because this only stopped in 1938. There are people walking around who remember that. So this has the unintended side effect of becoming this massive Republican rallying issue, which doesn't take much to set that off. No. And also the thing about the going to the U.S. is that was done for convenience. Yes. That was a convenience thing. This is not convenient for us. No. This means that goods that come to Ireland have to then go through double checks. We've got to go through some British check that we have nothing to do with, and then our own check. And here's the thing. Are we going to have to collect taxes on behalf of the EU and then give a cut to the... Like, even how it would work practically makes but no aside sense. Aside from that, it, it's also a thing of... Um, and why would we have to deal with their problem? Yes, That's the big one. this it's is like, their problem. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it, look, to me, it reminds me of a thing. Look, I fully support a united Ireland, but as far as I'm concerned, when people talk about Ireland had problems in the north, like, not the Republic of Ireland... The UK had a minor little civil war up north yeah, in yeah, their yeah. country. Well, of course. But they yeah. have decided it's their country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's we their didn't, problem. Yeah, we didn't cause it. Yeah, there's that. But on top of it, there's a lot of uh, crazy notions going around that I find, again, people really don't understand how the EU works. Of the scary Are notion. Are you surprised? I am not 40 at all. 40 years of misinformation, um, man. But it's particularly coming from US news, which I know I shouldn't watch. Well, it's bad for my brain, them. but. Just so people are aware, we are not part of the Schengen area. The notion that people will be able to come to Ireland with ease and just sneak into Britain without anyone knowing is pretty goddamn stupid. Yes. Um, once they come to Ireland, they still have to have their passports scanned. We know that they're here. Yes, they can get to the north. And all England has to do to stop... if they want, The north could possibly get flooded, I suppose, by these running around immigrants. But, I mean... I feel bad for them being up in the north. Yeah, why would they go there? All England has to do is anyone who's flying into England from the north without an English passport has to go through a check. Like they've always had to do. Mm-hmm. And also, It's a non-issue. But also, we, we passed a really controversial right-wing amendment to our constitution in 2002, which I actually think is really racist, which basically said that we removed natural-born Irish citizenship. Yes. We removed it. It is no longer a, a right of citizenship that you are born on this land that you are given citizenship, which is just fundamentally racist. It was passed mm. for racist reasons. It was a PD thing. It was pretty well known why it was done. Yeah. And unfortunately, it passed, I think, 58% to whatever. So it was like a big majority of the country were like, yeah, we're cool with that kind yeah. of racism. Good for us. Uh, but that alone, that amendment, is a disincentive to come here. Because yeah. if you come here and have kids, you we can still deport you, and we do. Yeah. Or we lock you up in what they call it direct prison, basically um, prison oh, yeah. BNBs. Yeah, I love the prison BNBs. Which so, actually, again, another thing, <laughs> we do not take in a huge amount of immigrants and we or don't refugees. Treat them well, so it's like we have a really shitty service. Yeah. Uh, I think I've said it to people before. 
we're supposed to take in this also many Syrian refugees. We We've taken in, I think, some ridiculous Five, like five hundred or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we haven't because our system for dealing with refugees is so god awful that I think most people in government have really come to the decision of I know ideally we should take in these people, but practically it would be cruel. And also, to them. but also, people need to look at our history. We've never been good for immigration. Network no. immigration. We denied Jews safe passage into Ireland, even to pa- even to stay in Ireland for a few days before they went to the US. Yeah. We are that country. We have such a re- repellent, abhorrent history of how we treat network immigration. So the idea that Ireland is some paradise where people fleeing war-torn zones can just sort of jauntily go into, you know... Um, be- by the way, when you go to Belfast on the train, you're going into the middle of Loyalist Belfast. Yes. You're going into Belfast Central. So you can, you're going to go from Dublin, where you're going to get a lot of crap, into Loyalist Belfast, and then somehow magically, like Dorothy, find your way to, like, Surrey. These people need to look at a map. Yeah. This is not an easy-to-do, you know, episode. And nor, nor is it like the people who are coming here for you know, to, to supposedly running to England to steal their very hard cleaning jobs, they're not like, they don't have the language. Well, a lot of them. It's again, not like they're sophisticated. You know, this yeah. isn't... I will continue the <laughs> irony of like, there, 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 there is a lot more English people in other countries on welfare than there are. Oh, sure, yeah. You know? That's a whole other thing. I mean, but anyway, not to, to, to hit English too much, but the fundamental thing being is that with this hard Brexit... Um, Which, by the way, is a horrible phrase... Brexit. It's <laughs> yes, stupidest yes, I know, phrase. but we're stuck with it. But the biggest issue, as I can see from an Irish point of view, is this complete lack of knowledge by the UK mm. on our treaties. I actually, um, I, I, I digress a little bit. I think yeah. that the permanent civil servants, you know, the people who run yes. the show, I actually think... The, the people who mine the toys from the idiots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. exactly. Hiding Santa, you know. I, I think that the, the Sir Humphrey types, of which mm. there's loads, I think that they actually probably do know. Yes. And, and, you know, they read and can spell and they don't drool. But I think that the knuckle draggers, of which there's plenty of them in this particular cabinet, are kind of like, they're kind of like Trump supporters. They're just off in planet La La Land. And there's just no talking well, to them. Well, they've made up their version of reality. Oh, yeah. They're living in the magic treaties. land. Yes. Yeah, yeah. No, and they don't give a damn well, about uh, treaties. Well, this, this is the... If we Michael Gove talked about putting troops back into Northern Ireland in contravention of about three treaties. So, like, these guys don't care about facts. Yeah, but again, we discussed this before, but it is this baffling thing to me of that these treaties are not nothing treaties. No. Uh, these are, like, co-signed by... Well, something to remember, Good Friday came in with Bill Clinton. We're looking at Hillary Clinton being in charge. If Good Friday was to collapse, I have a suspicion that the first gentleman of the United States might have a little bit of annoyance the about first that. Dude. First dude. <laughs> first dude. Yeah, or first saxophonist. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But the, the thing that, that sort of crystallizes what's happening inside the Tory party, because this is the other problem, is mm. we're not talking about the whole country. No. We're not talking about the whole country. Um... You know, a significant section of England voted to stay. They didn't want to leave. And it was a narrow vote. It was like 51.7 to 48 point whatever, Mm. three. Um, So basically 52, 48. It was close. The English are not familiar with how referenda works, so they're not used as a protest vote. Yeah, but also it actually has no significance because it has no foundation in law. So they can choose to ignore it, but they won't because they'll get hammered. 
But so that's why there's this mandate question of should the, what should the Tories do? Because the Tories are the ones who are having all this eruptions about it. But I was forwarded a link by a friend of mine to the kind of new far right stuff happening in the UK, sort of the Brexiteer stuff. Because a lot of that, a lot of the Brexit guys are far right, right? They hijacked a very good protest movement, but they themselves are far right activists, many yes. of them. They just are. UKIPers, BNP, all that stuff. And so they have latched onto this new anti-European notion, which is to attack the Normans. <laughs> which, I've read a few of these articles, not only are they hysterically funny, because they're completely insane, but that tells you a certain mindset. These guys have gone back not to 1973 and the extension to the EU, these guys have gone to 1066. Strongbow. They've gone all <laughs> the way back, and they are attacking William the Conqueror. I never thought I would be in a situation where a political party's elements of its deeply hard right base are freaking out about William the Conqueror, a guy who's been dead for a thousand years. Well, I think we have we have to talk to the Norwegians about uh, the Battle of the Boyne. Yeah, oh yeah, you know. yeah. We better get we write to them. Yeah, some complaints about that one. So I think this just sort of shows you that. You know, it's it's very obvious with the Trump thing that these guys are living in their own magic realities. But the problem is, as much as we can point and laugh at Trump, go, that's hilarious, yeah. he's nuts. Here's the problem. These guys are next door. Yes. These guys but, actually are going to make see, decisions that could screw up our economy. Here's, here's, here's the problem from an Irish perspective. We are a middle ground country. We are, yeah. Right? Even our radicals are pretty mild. Compared and to other radicals. more importantly... They're not going to get anywhere because we as a general population, we like to have things to whine about. We don't like crises. Crises are bad. Things to complain about, good. And the problem is, is we, it is quite baffling when you, we have a system where you rank your candidates by preference. Yes. Which means that I have voted for people that I hate. Um, because to keep it, other people you keep hate other more people out. I hate more out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I have voted for too. people I don't believe are actually going to win, but I want to so show support. Yeah. I voted for numbers of people because I've gone well. I don't. This guy's definitely going to win here. I would prefer someone to balance him out who I don't fully agree with, but on balance they'll work together. Mm -hmm. So we are used to the notion of compromise. We are looking with Britain at a country that compromise long fell out of the vernacular in the political sphere. Mm -hmm. um, I, I get just gone. Yeah. And it is baffling to be looking at people who have this 100%. These are the facts, regardless of whether they're actually the facts or is there any merit or basis to it. In Ireland, there will be disagreement. Um, I, for instance, I, the water charge is a good example. That's the crazy lefties. And, you know, the right wing is very much, you know, the water taxes are vital for keeping government going, blah, blah, blah. And the lefties are very much like, no, the water tax is an evil tax on a vital resource for the good of all of mankind. Yes. Here's the thing. I consider both of them kind of bullshitty. I know what the actual reason is. It's because the EU told us we had to and we needed money quick. Yeah. Um, but both of those sites have very reasonable, understandable points of view. Mm -hmm. And I can talk to both of them and understand them and make it have a rational discussion. And or, nobody's talking about William the Conqueror. And no one's talking about William the Conqueror. <laughs> Or, you know, that the EU is trying to steal our water and give it to Africa. Yeah. Um, so, looking at this from an outside point of view, to a neighbor that we are tied to, we can't escape this neighbor, makes it impossible to, to think of any rational way or government. I can't imagine trying to be in our government, trying to figure out how you were going to deal with Brexit. Mm -hmm. I mean, where'd you even start? I don't know. 
It's absolute insanity. Yeah, and I, I don't think the, the British government have helped themselves by just sort of letting the loons out of the asylum. Hmm. And that doesn't help because when they... Or having just deeply right-wing people talk like that, that might be great for hardcore conservative party activists who go to party conferences. But guess what? These things are televised. Like I watched Amber Rudd and went, wow, that really would have sounded much better in the original German. Like, you know, like I just, I was like. Well, you know where the royals are from. Yeah, but I'm sitting there. I'm sitting here going, we share a land border with these people. Yeah. And obviously Thatcher was out of office when I was born. Like I was born in 1988. She was out of office in 1990. So I didn't have to live through that kind of wacko bird stuff. But like, we don't live in the same time as the 80s. Like this is much less easy to try on to a whole country particularly this country that's just not going to live with that so you know if they if these guys if the tories think it's back to the 80s they're going to have some serious resistance from not only the smaller domestic parliaments within that country which are having none of it but also us who somehow we have to kind of go along with some of this or at least agree to it because we can just say no yeah no, I mean, this is the thing that I'm finding more and more disturbing as the time goes on, is that these treaties have to be addressed in how any Brexit is going to but affect But also, if the, let's say the, the worst case scenario, this, we'll end on this. Mm. Worst case scenario, the Brits repudiate all these treaties. Yeah. Northern Ireland goes to hell in a handbasket. Unionists, or loyalists in this case, go completely mental. And there has to be some sort of, not reinvasion, but some sort of augmentation of the security forces to keep control of things as they go completely yeah. mental and obviously will be involved because there are citizens and we have agreements with the north to help them out. yeah this is the biggest problem that i think people have forgotten like we actually would have to defend the north now because they're all our citizens yeah yeah but anyway so there's all this kind of stuff but internationally uh the uk relies upon traditions and long-standing treaties that go back a couple hundred years mm. because they don't have a constitution. Yes. Either because they weren't bothered or they didn't think they needed one or whatever reason they chose not to do this. So they have this very complicated patchwork arrangement, which re which basically requires people to trust them. Yes. To not be mental. To not break their treaties. Yeah. basically. And if they start to break them with us, then everyone else in the Commonwealth is going to go, well, just they're, they're, they're right next to them. Well, I'll They're right beside them. I'll finish off with my last thought, which is if England is thinking that in the long term this will benefit them economically, they better be looking at taking care of their longest trading partner. Well, par not partner for a long time, but trading re island that they have numerous treaties with. And if they break those treaties, why would they expect any government around the world to expect that England would stand by any treaty they were going to make now? Mm -hmm. If they start their new independence by breaking treaties, why Who's would they trust them? Yeah, why would you trust them? Yeah, exactly. And it'll be interesting to see. I mean, that that's something that I think over the next few weeks and months we'll see more of the contours of this come cl become clearer. But it's very much buckle up, everybody. These guys have gone pretty far right, and there is no, from what I can see, changing from yeah. that. We've like Cameron, center right, bit of a goon. But he wasn't like super scary. These people are super scary. Yeah. And, and they are just going to do kind of mental right wing things or at least try to. And it's going to be rough for us. So we better kind of buckle up and get used to this now because the sort of Trump-esque crazy train stuff, that's happening inside that party now. Yeah. We're seeing it in real time. The Normans, really? 
Anyway, and on that note, this is me, Jack Kavanaugh. And me, Jack Irwin. And we will be returning soon, probably with a slightly more cultural podcast next time, so it's not as doom and gloom and run away from Ember Good. <laughs> um, so uh, any ideas or comments or suggestions, please email us at uh, spoilyourreign at gmail.com or you can find us on Twitter at spoilyourreign. Thank you and goodbye. <laughs>